Episode 193, Teresa de Grobois, author of the book, Mass Influence. And that brought me face to face with the fact, you know, within about six months of doing that, I realized, wow, I really don't love running a charity. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Teresa, her work, her book, and more, look for links in the show notes or go to markgraben.com slash mistake 173. As always, thanks for listening. And now on with the show. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven. Our guest today is Teresa de Grobois. She is the founder of the Evolutionary Business Council. She's an international speaker, and she's the number one international bestselling author of the book Mass Influence. Um, so again, that book is uh, it's Mass Influence, The Habits of the Highly Influential. It's now a bestseller in seven countries. Um, Teresa is actually a four-time international bestselling author. She teaches marketing courses around the globe to business leaders and, and to entrepreneurs about how to create massively successful word of mouth campaigns. So I think we'll have an opportunity to learn uh, a little bit about that today. And uh, again, as the chair of the Evolutionary Business Council, um, Teresa leads uh, an invitation-only council of international speakers and influencers dedicated to teaching the principles of success. So her website, and there'll be a link in the show notes, www.teresadegrobois.com. And you can also download a complimentary digital version um, of her book, Mass Influence. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So uh, Teresa, with, uh, with all of that, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? It's great to be here, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. You are a Canadian in Costa Rica these days. Yeah, I moved to Costa Rica several years ago. So I just got done with winter, you know? Yeah. But I, I still travel back to Canada to visit uh, in the Canadian summer. And so I enjoy a migratory lifestyle. Yeah. Well, it's good that you could do that. And I'm glad uh, you could join us here today. So, you know, I, I'll be interested to you know talk about what you've learned and what you teach about um, influence and, um, you know, growth that could apply to a, uh, a startup. It could apply to this podcast, but, um, before we get into all of that, as we always do here, Teresa, what is your favorite mistake? Well, I have to say when it was first, when I first stepped out from working in industry to become an entrepreneur, you know, I had that burning desire to do something different. I, um, I really wanted to do something that would create legacy and really change the world. So I set up a charity to build schools in Africa. I I wrote three kids books to help raise money for that charity. Um, And that brought me face to face with the fact, you know, within about six months of doing that, I realized, wow, I really don't love running a charity. It's very bureaucratic. And it's like banging your head against the wall. Really, it felt like that for me. And I don't love being a children's uh, author. You know, I, I, my books at all quickly made it onto the bestseller lists, but I wasn't enjoying around going around to schools and doing children's program. It was okay, but I did, it didn't really fire me up, you know? So it was interesting because I kind of leaned in, leaned into the direction I wanted to go. But when I got there, I quickly realized 
this isn't right, you know. And the other thing that was happening for me at that time was I had people coming at me in droves saying three bestsellers in eight months. Like, how the heck did you do that, Teresa? And would you show me how you did that? And, it, you know, it's kind of like how fish don't know what water is. You know, we often don't realize what our superpower is. And I didn't realize that I had a real skill set around creating word of mouth epidemics, generating influence. It was something that I just naturally did. Um, so I started coaching and mentoring people. And that, you know, that precipitated, I think, one of the biggest shifts in my life that set me on the current course that I'm on now. Wow. So you said with, without that charity, you probably w- wouldn't have written the children's books because it sounds like the the direct inspiration or the the purpose of that was the fundraising. Yeah. Ironically, you know, I think if I hadn't done those initial steps, I'd probably still be working in industry um, because trying to leave industry, I, you know, it's funny when I look back on it, all I was doing was influential initiatives, you know, big industry task force stuff, but I wouldn't have conceived of myself as someone with a high expertise and understanding influence. I just was doing it, you know? And um, so I couldn't have at that time said, Oh, I think I'll, I'll retire early and go become an expert on influence. Like that wasn't even a possibility for me. I couldn't have dreamed the life of where life would take me at that time, but taking what seemed like the logical next step is actually what got me out the door and got me on this Mm -hmm. path. Yeah, it seems like your story fits into that category of the favorite mistake that ended up opening a door that was yeah. completely unexpected. And without that mistake, that that might not that opportunity uh, probably wouldn't have been there. That's really interesting. Yeah. You know, I really do believe everything happens for a reason, and the reason is there to serve you. At the time, it was overwhelming to me. I'm like, holy cow! I stepped away from the security net of having this beautiful six figure job and a beautiful pension. Um, I'm going to look like a fool because the whole world knows I was trying to start a charity. The charity itself failed too, right? Um, You know, we went into it with a certain amount of, let's say, North American arrogance. Um, And, you know, there there were one of the the biggest projects we were working on was trying to build a school in Sudan. And the locals had told us, do not make it too nice. Like, do not put windows on the building. Do not build walls. Like, just build a roof and tables, you know. And a lot of our board of directors was insistent that no, these kids deserve better. We got to build the North American standard. Well, within a week of opening school, a school, then military took it over. Um, so in uh-huh. essence, what we achieved was building a really nice military installation on the Canadian um, charitable donate, oh, wow. donators money. Right. And that devastated the people that were involved in the charity, right. Including me. I was just like all that work, you know, all that effort. And now there's no school. There's just a military. But it also brought us face to face with, you know, there's got to be a better way. Like, and so us as North Americans coming in, trying to tell Africans what they should do in their communities to make a better life for their children, um, that really doesn't work, you know. So now, actually, all my charitable um, donations, all my charitable fundraising goes to Charles Muli in Kenya, um, because he is a Kenyan and has so far managed to adopt over 7,000 street children from Nairobi. And he, he literally adopts every single one of them. They all call him Daddy Muli. And he builds big greenhouse operations, which is a for-profit business that employs a lot of the local adults in the region. And they use the profit from the greenhouse operation to pay for his orphanages and schools. 
And I just, when I saw that as a business model, he's just a brilliant man. There's been two movies made about him already. Um, if you, you know, if you're interested in his story, but that inspired me. And I realized, you know, there's people with boots on the ground that really understand better how to do stuff. And sometimes you're actually more powerful. And this is one of the key principles that I teach in influence and one of the key principles I teach in the evolutionary business council, but I forgot it for a little while, but sometimes you're more powerful as the first raving fan of someone who's meant to be doing an initiative than actually trying to do everything yourself. So, Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I appreciate you sharing all that, Teresa. So there's kind of the high level mistake of um, taking that on. And then secondly, kind of that, that more detailed level mistake. And it, um, it reminds me of a, a previous guest, um, Nicole Fisher, who had an initiative for feeding girls in, uh, in poor countries and told a similar story with all the best intentions and doing things the way Westerners were doing. They were trying, they were focusing on feeding young girls and the unintended unexpected consequence, if I remember right, was that, well, then the, 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 the kids were no longer getting fed at home. So instead of supplementing a meal, it just ended up replacing a meal. And, you know, the definition of what's a meal was in questions similar to what you were saying around, yeah. you know, the definition of what's needed um, for a school. So you're, you're, you're not alone in that sort of situation. Um, you know, so yeah. I, you know, these, these, these things happen, but um, I'm, I'm glad you, you know, could reflect and, and, and learn, or at least, you know, put yourself in, into um, new circumstances. Well, when I really went back to base principles, which I think I had known throughout my career, you know, sometimes investing in the people that are out doing their missions to build a better world is actually a more powerful stance to take. And um, so one of the reasons I wrote my book was as I started coaching and mentoring people after that time during my life, I was running into so many change agents, like so many everyday heroes, you know, people that just wanted to leave a legacy behind or, you know, help people become more conscious or, you know, develop a product that would have people live in a better way. And these people were trying to do really great grassroots initiatives. And they didn't understand how influence worked. And, and it, you know, it's sort of one of those things. It's almost like breathing, right? Once you get influence, it's not like a chunk of time you have to add into your day and schedule it in. You just move through your day in a different manner and you don't think about it. You're just now behaving like an influential person, you know? And I really wanted these amazing everyday heroes to start having that breakthrough of influence is not only important, it's actually quite easy once you get the paradigm mm -hmm. shift of how it works. Yeah. So before we talk about you know, uh, the, your, your book, Mass Influence, I, I'd be curious to hear a little bit more of the backstory with the children's books. Mm -hmm. And you know, how, how, how did you reflect and sort of turn what you described as just naturally doing it into something that could then be articulated to others in a way that could be helpful. Like, you know, say, you know, a fish, what's the expression A fish in a, a fishbowl or a fish in water has, would have trouble explaining the water because it, yeah, it fish just, no it just is. Water is, right? It yeah. just is for them. It's yeah. just the environment in which they live. Right. And um, yeah, the children's books, I never actually wrote them with an intention of publishing them. Actually, when I wrote them, they were in my, my family since, the earliest memories I can ever have. We've always had a thing in my family where we write poetry for each other as presents. Like, so if it's somebody's birthday or somebody's anniversary, you can expect three or four members of the family probably write a poem. It's probably because 
it was probably expediency, truthfully, because, you know, we came from very humble beginnings and we often didn't have the money to buy a present to each other. But both my, both my parents were quite well educated and very intellectual. Um, so they would say, well, if you don't have the money, you can do something creative for them. And like, so go make them something or write them a poem or write them a story. And so it was actually just a thing in our family that we'd often write some kind of fun celebratory poem for a person. And um, so I thought, well, I love that idea. So as my kids got older, I started writing little poem stories about little victories that they had had to um, to really encourage them and, you know, make them feel excited um, about the things they had achieved in their lives. And I would often save them and read them at their birthday parties or something like that, like to make it really special, you know, and my kids just loved them. And in fact, often their friends would say, you should make that into a book. That would be such a great book. And so at about the time that I was starting the charity and my kids were still fairly young at that time, I thought, well, maybe I should, you know, just get an illustrator and publish a few of these and, um, you know, see what happens and use them to raise money. And it actually did work quite well from the standpoint of, you know, we, we set up some launch campaigns and made a fair amount of money flush in the door fairly quickly um, from pushing these books out there. So yeah, it was a fun little project that I did with my kids. So then what was, what was the path? What were some of the things that, that you were naturally doing to turn books into a bestseller? Well, I, I think one of the things that a lot of people sort of intuitively know, but they don't put enough attention on, you know, is that all, all about best-selling book is the word of mouth epidemic and all the word of mouth epidemic is 200 influential people talking about your book all at the same time. That's all it takes to create an epidemic. Right. So then that of course begs the question of, well, how do you get 200 influential people all talking about your work all at the same time? Right. Which is one of the reasons I started the evolutionary business council, because, you know, Really, when when you can step into an environment where you can start to meet and become friends with and get to know other influential people, then when you're up to something in the world or you're launching something or you need to get the word out about something, now you've got a group of influential friends at your back that can really help create those word of mouth epidemics that you need. So how how did you find... You know, the 200 influential people. So I'm assuming there, there was that was part of your approach there. You had whatever number or 200 influential people talking about the children's books. Yeah, that's right. You know, really what it comes down to is understanding how influence works. Right. And this is where a lot of people have the wrong paradigm. Right. Like we all learned a certain rule book, let's call it back in the playground when we were playing in the sandbox. Like we learned I'll do this for you and you do that for me. Like we learned this sort of tit for tat kind of thinking, right? And then we translated that into business as we got older. We learned that it's a good idea to offer to buy a colleague lunch or coffee if we want to build a relationship with a coffee. Again, there's sort of this tit for tat. And then you only have to phone up the head of a Fortune 500 company and offer to buy them coffee. And faster than you can say gatekeeper, you run into the (laughs) understanding that the rule book changes as soon as you're dealing with someone highly influential, right? But that begs the question, okay, so what's the new rule book? How do you score coffee with a heavy influencer, right? And the answer is all around stop making the biggest mistakes that most, most people make when they're trying to build a relationship with someone influential, which is, I would affectionately call it the premature ask, right? 
the premature ask is like, you know, you've just moved into a new house and the new neighbor comes over and says, wow, I love the look of that stereo you were just carrying. And I can't wait to borrow that. Right. And, <laughs> right. And, you know, you're probably rolling your eyes back in your head at that point because it's way too soon to be making it all, all about you. Right. And you often see this at networking events. Like you'll go into a networking event, usually the most influential people in the room in a networking event is the host and the guest speaker on stage, right? And you'll often see the host walk off stage and there's a lineup of people there with a product sample or a book or a CD, um, or they want to offer to buy them coffee or lunch to pick their brain or, right? But the unspoken message there is this is really all about me. It's kind of like going to the new neighbor and saying, you're going to love my kids. You're so going to enjoy babysitting them. It's like right. that, right? Yeah. And can I have a cup of sugar? <laughs> exactly. You know, and it might be true. Your kids might be awesome and, and the neighbors might love them, but it's too soon for that conversation, right? So you've got to find a different way to approach them. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have to reflect. I'm sure I've made that mistake trying to uh, meet people who are influential to me. Um, I, you know, I guess I'll, I'll wear the label link LinkedIn has, you know, dubbed me and there's this label on my profile influencer. You know, I'm a program they started some years ago and um, I'm still not exactly sure why they invited me to be part of it as a, as a published author. And it's nice, you know, but I, I, I have been on the receiving end of, let's say, you know, somebody connects and, and you don't even know them and that they're asking you to write a forward to their book. Okay. Well, wow. Okay. Uh, too, too much too soon. I, I don't know you um, and end up either saying no or, or, or maybe just awkwardly ignoring it because it's, it's awkward to say, what? Well, thank you yeah. for asking, but eh, that's, that's yeah. a little too much. Yeah. And you think about people who are iconic in this industry, like people like Jack Canfield or Marcy Shimo. They, they sometimes get hundreds of requests in one month to write a forward for their book or a quote or endorsement for the book, right? And that's a big ask. Like, that's a very time-consuming ask, right? So you get a 1,000 of those in a month. Like, how many does Oprah Winfrey get, right? So it's important to understand, like, if you want to meet the new neighbor, you know, you're going to bring them a cake or a lasagna. Or, you know, if you're in Northern Ontario, you might bring them a really nice bottle of bug spray. And that, that's Canadian humor, <laughs> right? And um, but, you know, the equivalent of that in the influence world is we give influence as a means of opening the door. And what do I mean by that? You don't approach them and say, can you endorse my book? You don't approach them and say, can I have an hour of your time for the price of a $5 latte? You don't do that. You say things like, I got a podcast. Can I interview you? Or I know someone with a great podcast. Can I connect you to them? Or I, you know, you said you were going to Chicago and and you're speaking there. I know several people that can shout out your event for you in Chicago. Would you like me to connect or, you know, but in some way you, you shine the spotlight on them, not you. Right. Cause I know a lot of us have this, you know, mindset of oh, this is my one chance, a really influential person. And I got to be assertive and get in there. And I, I, you know, always be asking, right. What was the movie? ABC always be closing. Right. right. Yeah. Glenn Gary, Glenn <laughs> Ross. Calm yeah. down. It's not yeah. that much of an emergency, build some relationship and then mm -hmm. you can make the ask. Right. Yeah. Well, even sometimes as a podcast host, um, there are times I've reached out to some you know uh, influential people and, mm -hmm. and, and part of my reflection is maybe that ask, would you be a guest on my podcast for some people is too soon. Sometimes people have said yes. And I'm grateful for that. There's, 
one um, influencer, I'd be curious to hear your, your thoughts on this. Uh, John Amici, who's um, he's British. He played basketball in the United States. He's a psychologist. Um, I hear him on uh, as a guest on one podcast I listen to a lot. I would love to have him on, on the show. And I've sent a message through LinkedIn and I haven't heard back. But I see now because I've followed him, I see his posts and I, and I try to post comments and to interact in a supportive mm-hmm. way or sharing what he's sharing. Is, is that maybe a best attempt at trying to build a relationship or make myself okay, known it's to not him? bad practice. Like there's nothing wrong with doing so you're doing everything right. Right. And like that begs one of the questions. And I talk about this a lot in my book, like what if you're reaching out and you just don't get a response, right? And a couple things might be happening. The first thing is that person just might not be a fit for you. Like just energetically, they might not be a fit. Don't make it mean anything. Just move on. It might also mean the timing's just off. Like they might have a huge event and they're slammed. Like you don't know what's going on on the other side of the fence, right? So you might need to just circle back in a month. And Like, again, don't make it mean anything, right? The third thing that might be going on is if there's wildly different levels of influence, like an example of that might be, you're talking to a television reporter and you're like a new influencer. Like, so a television reporter probably reaching two, three million people, a newscast. You're down in the, hey, I have a following of 20,000 on my podcast. Like, so you're just at different tiers of influence. Well, you might have to build relationship with that person for a year or two years before you can make it about you. And it's not because they're a bad person. It's not because they're arrogant. Like, don't add all this story in your mind about the reason. It's just because they got a lot of people coming at you and they're crazy busy. They're almost like crazy people, right? Because, you know, they're trying to get six six stories in and in one day, like, you know, their news director sending them all over the place, you know, and that's not uncommon for an influencer. So actually, you're doing everything right. Stay the course, but don't necessarily put all your focus on one person, you know, like in other words, you might pick out 20 or 30 really influential people that you'd love to be in relationship with and start like throwing out the breadcrumbs. Can I have you on my show? Can I connect you with another show? Have you met this person? And so what if 10 of them don't respond? 10 of them will, Mm -hmm. and you'll have great relationships with those 10 and don't mean, don't make it mean anything that the other 10 don't respond. They might just be relationships for later. Sure. So there's a lot of lessons to learn. Um, Teresa's book, again, is uh, Mass Influence, The Habits of the Highly Influential. And, you know, one, one thing I thought was really interesting of how you structured the book, um, Teresa was talking about um, mistakes that people make or bad habits that mm-hmm. we might have. So um, one, one of them I wanted to ask you about was the mistake um, or, or mistaking self-promotion and bragging. Yes. What are your thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, well, I think it's really important to understand your social media, your podcast, your blog, wherever you hold your influence is more effectively used to build relationship with other influencers than it is to self-promote. Now, that's not to say that self-promotion isn't appropriate and effective in some places, right? And I I love how Dr. Shonda Perrin talks about this, right? She talks about the notion of shameless self-promotion. And she doesn't mean, oh, you're so shameless, shameless self-promotion, like sort of a, you know, a diss, but rather, can you have no shame when you're talking about yourself, right? And because a lot of us have this inner dialogue or things that have been ingrained in us that would say, 
oh, don't ever, ever talk about yourself. Don't ever, ever self-promote, right? So there's this fine balance of, you know, it's sort of like breathing out and breathing in, breathing out and breathing in, right? You want to be giving influence to other people. You also want them to know that you're doing it, right? Like, and sometimes, you know, like, you know, I might mention people like, uh, you know, uh, Jack Canfield or someone huge, like I mentioned Marcy Shymoff earlier, who both people I have met and adore, they might never know I shouted them out on this show. They just deserve it. You know what I mean? Because they're so iconic. They've given so much to our industry. They've helped so many people. They just deserve a shout out. That energy might never come back to me. Who cares, right? But as an influencer, you shine a light where influence is due, but you also stand in your own power and stand in your own abilities unashamedly. You know, and so it's important to understand the balance of those two things. And so the only way to learn that, the only way to learn how to ride a bike is start riding a bike. So just yeah. start doing it and see what yeah. works. So I think it's interesting where you, you talk about balance. Um, some people might say, well, you know, I, I was raised to be humble, not talk about myself. And you said there's the, the one extreme of never talk about yourself. It seems like there's a mistake out there. And I see it sometimes uh, aspiring influencers, as you would describe them, of only talking about themselves. Exactly. And that's, and that's where that's the extreme that doesn't work either. You know, like, have you ever seen someone's Facebook page and all they're doing is selling like pitch, 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 and it's like a pitch fest, right? And on the other hand, if all they're doing is saying, hey, here's something great from this influencer, and here's something great from that influencer, and like, look at all these awesome people and look at this great video, and like, all they're doing is sharing awesome content. That's also really cool, right? But then somewhere in there, there's got to be a balance of, but here's your relationship with me. You know, here's who I am and let me be a little vulnerable and let me let you get to know me, right? So it really does become a balancing act that you get good at the more you do it. You just get good. Yeah. And there's, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's old, I mean, at this point, old social media guidelines, um, different people will put different numbers at it. But you should be posting things about other people far more than you are saying, Hey, here's, here's the latest review of my book. Um, and sometimes you see that's all somebody does or every comment is okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And as I said in my book and they link to the book and like, sometimes that's Mm -hmm. a little, a little much. Yeah. Some people have a rule of thumb, like five things that are about other people for everyone that's about me, you know? But I think it's just, you know, there is no hard and fast rule because it really depends on your audience, right? If you're doing more of like a reality TV of your life on YouTube and people are just following you because they love what you do, maybe you're off grid and you're building an off grid house. Like, you know, it's, it's appropriate in a situation like that to let them just see your life and be vulnerable and open. But that doesn't mean on every episode, you might not shout out products or shout out things that you think are really, really great which by the way, in the long run, usually becomes streams of income because, you know, that's, that's how the whole world of affiliate commissions and things like that work, right? It's influencers giving each other attention and giving each other energy. Mm-hmm. And it seems like Teresa, there might be another mistake people might make of, um, you know, it sounds like what, what you're describing, um, you know, the, the, the effort to build relationships with a large number of highly influential people that's that's not to be mis, uh, not to be confused with let's say paying a social media influencer quote unquote to pose with a picture of your book or to do something sort of fleeting and yeah. 
superficial well, or paid you know, for, right? It's not wrong to do paid for initiatives, right? It's just, there's no stickiness to that. There's no longevity to it, right? So money can buy influence. We see that in political plant campaigns all the time, right? Throw a <laughs> yeah. crap load of money at something and, you know, buy billboards everywhere. But the consumer, the people consuming the information or the story will actually resonate a lot more with real humanness, like, you know, authenticity and, you know, and, and people recognize authenticity so easily, especially in this day and age. Right. And I know there's a lot of definitions of authenticity out there. Mine is just, is your inside voice saying the same thing as your outside voice. Right. So people can pick out people who are incongruent so easily. Right. So I think it's just important to understand when you're starting out, you might do a few paid thing. Maybe you go on a pay to play book or you pay money to go on somebody's podcast or whatever. Sometimes you do need a leg up and it's okay to pay for that, but you want to then convert that into relationships and following. So you start to have some stickiness to what you're doing because in the long run, there's no sustainability to just always paying to get in front of other people. And one of the other things you, another mistake you point out um, in, in, in your book is um, the mistake of, this is a trap entrepreneurs or authors could fall into. Um, the mistake of thinking you're trying to treat, trying to reach everyone, or that your target audience is like you know all business leaders in all organizations. Like what 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 can we do to avoid that trap of trying to have too broad of a reach? Yeah, I love how Lisa Manini talks about that. She says, "Be exact to attract." Right, and the point is, you know, when you think about it, if you've got a medical issue you know, let's say you've got a brain tumor. Do you want to go to a general practitioner or a brain surgeon? Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> and if a brain surgeon writes you a prescription for back pain, you're like, wow, how generous that was of him that he actually helped me with another issue. And he's so brilliant and he's a brain surgeon. Right. So it doesn't mean if you're specialized that you can't ever help someone else with another problem. It doesn't mean that, but the more specialized you declare yourself to be, Society um, equates that with a much higher level of expertise. And people want to go to experts or influencers who really get them, that are really targeted down into a specific niche, right? So the more you're targeted down into a specific niche, the easier it will be for you to attract an audience and a following. And there are you know, a lot of good lessons um, in the book. And uh, Teresa has uh, a video series that you can sign up for. They'll be emailed out to you with, with different tips. And, you know, these, these are, um, I think, you know, mindsets and practices where, you know, there's a lot of opportunity uh, for, for me to learn and try to apply this in different ways. So, you know, I'm happy to have been exposed to you and your, and your work and what you're offering, Teresa. Um, so the book again, and uh, there'll be links to all of this in the show notes. Um, the book is Mass Influence, The Habits of the Highly Influential. And then uh, beyond the book, um, as I mentioned earlier, Teresa is founder of the Evolutionary Business Council. Um, tell, tell us uh, a, a little bit you know, uh, about how that got started and um, you know, who participates in that. I know you, you said it's invitation only, but um, yeah. tell us a little bit about the, the EBC. Well, the EBC is really just a community of like-minded thought leaders and emerging thought leaders that are really out to create a more conscious and more sustainable world. And um, we don't mean thought leader in the sense of highfalutin, arrogant, you know, 
it, it's more <laughs> in the sense of if you're pushing out new ideas and new ways of thinking, and you're really dedicated to changing people's lives in some way with better products or better teachings, then, you know, we encourage you to come check out the EBC. You do need to be sponsored in. Um, that's because we do screen for people who just want to sell to our members. There's a lot no. of people out there who no. think, um, you know, a bunch of influential people would make a great downline in their MLM or stuff like that. And, <laughs> and you know, that's not welcome in the EBC because mm-hmm. we need it to be a safe space where people as leaders can really do their own work and look at what's stopping them from stepping up to a higher level of success. Right. And so our, you know, our more senior members range from people who have, you know, corporations that are in the millions in profit and have millions in reach all the way down to people who are more in business startup and just starting out as influencers. And the more senior members tend to coach and mentor and lead calls and and help train the more junior members. So it's really a beautiful environment of events and mentorship and masterminding that just really helps give people a leg up in the world of really being a change agent to create a better world. Mm -hmm. And in the process of, of creating this and working with it, you've been able to avoid the bureaucracy that was bothering you in the nonprofit space or maybe even previously yeah. in your career. Yeah. I, I learned my lesson the hard way that not-for-profits are so fraught with bureaucracy that you often can't get anywhere in them. They can become very challenging. So the Evolutionary Business Council is a philanthropic business with a goal to change humanity, but it actually is a for-profit and we teach profitability as one of our pillars. Um, we really want our members to stand in profitability because when you can met, match influence and profit together, so much more impact is available from that beautiful partner. Yeah. Well, you know, Teresa, thank you for sharing um, your mistake stories and, you know, more importantly, the learning from those, learning your lesson um, the hard way that's better than not learning the lesson um, at all. Yeah, thank you. It's just been a joy to be here with you. Thanks yeah. so much, Mark. Well, thank you. So again, our guest has been Teresa de Grobois. Uh, her website is www.teresadegrobois.com. There'll be links in the show notes, um, link to her book and her LinkedIn page and the Evolutionary Business Council. Um, a link to Teresa's TED Talk will be in there. I apologize for not um, mentioning that. So there's uh, a lot you can learn. Um, from Teresa, and I'm looking forward to continuing to do so. So thank you for sharing a little bit with us on the podcast today. Thank you, Mark. Well, thanks again to Teresa for being our guest today. Again, to learn more about her, her work, her book, and more, look for links in the show notes or go online, markgraven.com slash mistake173. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me my favorite mistake podcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is my favorite mistake podcast.com.